Good morning. From the city of Athens, Greece, comes to us Dr. Panayotis Kantarkis, or something like that. One of my goals in life is to figure out how to say that. Um, He has been gracious enough to allow us all to call him Yotis. Um, This city of Athens, four million people strong, as you know, for millennia, has been one of the most important cities in the world. And it continues to be of vital importance, being very strategically located as a crossroads and as a melting pot of people from Europe and the Middle East and Africa. Yotis is the husband of Nope. He's the father of three sons. In Athens, Yotis is the pastor of the first Greek evangelical church of Athens. I could tell you all kinds of things about his education, which includes a couple master's degrees from the city of Boston, um, schools there, a PhD. Um, But I want you to hear his heart for his city as he preaches to us about being a city on a hill. Many of you know from the news that two months ago, Greece had terrible riots. During that time, I had written him, and he emailed me back, and this is what he said to me. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, being a, city, uh, being a church in the city means that we feel her heartbeat. It also means that we suffer her wounds. The last three nights, there are riots in the center of Athens. Last night, anarchists threw stones against the building of our church, breaking windows and causing some other damages. That is nothing compared to what other buildings have suffered. The post office, which is a distance of about 100 meters from the church, was literally burned down. Other stores and companies suffered greatly. In the midst of it all, there is hope in the Lord. We also feel that this must be a wake-up call for our church. We need to love our city. We repent because, like Jonah, we stood outside the city observing it from a distance. Now we feel the Lord inviting us to repent and return. Pray for our city. Pray for us. In him, Yotus. This is the man who's going to come this morning and open God's word to us. Hear his heart and hear God's heart for the world. Let me read the scripture lesson for the day. This is the very word of God is found in Zechariah, beginning in chapter 7. I'll read a number of verses from this chapter in chapter 8, beginning Zechariah 7, verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev. The people of Bethel had sent Sherez and Regum Melech together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priest of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? And then chapter 8, verse 1, again the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I am very zealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. This is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says, once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with Cain in his hand because of his age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at that time, but it will be marvelous to me, declares the Lord Almighty. And then in Matthew 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Yotus, we welcome you to Orlando and to Orangewood. Come and open God's word for us. Thank you. Good morning. Calimera. Hank, where are you sitting? Shout, Calimera. All right, I located you. Well, my brothers and sisters here in Orlando, you have a problem. And if you don't know what is your problem, let me tell you a secret. If you go around the world, around the globe, and you ask anybody about Orlando, the first and only thing that will come to his mind is Disney World. If, if, if you go around and you ask people, it seems that everybody believes that in this city, uh, the only people who live is Mickey Mouse, Daisy, Captain Hook, Cinderella. But you know better. You know that Orlando is a city. A city with a lot of people. People with real lives. Real needs. Eternal destinies. You know that in Orlando is Maitland. Eatonville. And you know what? We have the exact same problem like you in Athens. Because if you go around the world and you talk about Athens, the people think about ancient sites, museums, Olympic history, Suvlaki, Jadziki, Sirtaki. Ask Hank what these words mean. And most people think that in Athens, people like Socrates and Plato still live there. But I'm here to try to convince you that Athens, like Orlando, it's a city. A big city with a lot of people, four million of them. People with real lives, real issues, real problems, eternal destinies. A city with 500,000 immigrants. A city with 100,000 university students. It's my city. It's the city where a handful of believers, your brothers and sisters, are trying to be faithful to the Lord and be the city of God in the city of Athens. And what I would like to do this morning with you, if you allow me, is to turn your attention to a passage in the Bible. It's the passage that we just read from the book of Zechariah and the Old Testament. That's not very typical for a Greek to go to the Old Testament, but anyway, we'll do that uh, this morning. And I would like to draw your attention to this scripture passage because this particular passage is something, it's a passage that really shapes and forms our vision. So what I would like to do this morning is to share with you the scriptures that really is the basis for our vision. And as we turn to Zechariah chapter 8, the first, the most important exegetical observation is that uh, chapter 8 comes right after chapter 7. It's funny that you spend so many years in seminary education, and uh, it ends up that the most important things is like uh, knowing math. So I will try to explain to you why, why it's so important that uh, chapter 8 comes 
after chapter 7. Because if you remember, uh, I was glad that Joe read this uh, scripture passage from chapter 7 because it had all these weird names that I would kill them with my pronunciation. So I asked him to read it. But I don't know if you remember and if you understood what was going on in chapter 7. In chapter 7, a delegation of the people of God approaches the priest with a question. They have a question to ask to God. And what is this question? Look, please, with me, chapter 7, verse 3. Should we mourn and fast in the fifth month as we have done for so many years? That is the question. And uh, keep in your mind that um, Zechariah is what we call it a post-exilic book, meaning that it's a book written after the exile, so the Israelites were in the exile, and now they are back. And so they approach God with this question, should we mourn? Should we keep mourning and fasting in the fifth month? See, the background here is that during the time of the exile, uh, the Israelites established several fasting rituals uh, in order to remind themselves of the tragic events of the exile, of the... Uh, uh, fall of Jerusalem, of the destruction of the temple. And actually, if you read with me in chapter 8, verse 19, we read about these fasting practices that took place in the fourth month, in the fifth month, in the seventh month, in the tenth month. And so this delegation approaches the Lord, and they have this question. They say, Lord, now we are back. Should we keep on fasting all these days? Maybe we can eliminate from our schedule the fast on the fifth month. And you may say, so why is this important, right? What's the problem? You know what is their problem? I'll tell you. Their problem is that they don't understand what is their problem. Keep in your mind that is, as I said, right after the exile, everywhere around them, chaos prevails. Spiritual chaos, moral chaos, social chaos. Jerusalem is still in ruins, problems everywhere, and their only, only question to God is, God, what do you think? Should we eliminate the fast on the fifth month? Instead of approaching God and asking, God, what do you want us to do? This is the people of the God in that city. God, what is your plan? What is your vision? What, what do you expect from us? The only thing that they care is this insignificant religious technicality. And that is their problem. And many times, my brothers and sisters, this is also our problem. Is the problem of the church today. Many times we deal and we consume ourselves and we are absorbed in things that concern nobody around us. Perhaps not even God. And God comes to them in chapter 8 and answers to this question. And, of course, God has this unique ability to answer our, to answer our question without answering our question. So he comes to them and he says, let me tell you, your concern is about fasting and about these religious issues. Let me tell you what is my vision for you. Let me tell you what you should have been looking for from me and you are not doing it. So, now we turn to chapter 8. And there, we will see four things, very simple things. First of all, we will see what is God's vision for his church. 
And you may say, come on, this is Jerusalem, Israel, Judea, why you're talking about the church. What I will try to show you in a little while is that actually this particular passage is the backdrop of this famous saying of Jesus Christ in the Sermon of the Mount that you are a city on a hill, right? So it's, it's really for us. So what we'll see there is, first of all, what is God's vision for his church? Second, what does that mean? Third, how can this happen? And fourth, what would be the result? Four things. Let me repeat them again. What is God's vision for his church? Second, what does it mean? Third, how can this happen? Fourth and last, what will be the result? Let's start from the first one at the beginning. So what is God's vision? Read with me, please, if you may, verse 3. Chapter 8, verse 3. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. And the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. Do you get it? Do you understand now why it's important to realize that chapter 8 comes right after chapter 7? Because in chapter 7 we see a people that they see themselves, they view themselves as a closed club that deals with religious issues. Insignificant issues. And God comes to these people and says, let me tell you what is my vision for you. My vision for you is to be a city. The city of truth on the holy mountain. To be a city on a mountain. A city on a hill. And now I hope you can see how that is the backdrop of what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. That you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill And that comes right out of Zechariah. So that is God's vision. To be a city on a hill. But the question is, what does that mean? And that brings us to the second point. So, what does this mean practically? What does it mean for the church to be the city of God in the city of men? Let me turn your attention now, please, to verse 13. Verse 13. There we read, as you have been an object of cursing among the nations, O Judah and Israel, so will I save you and you will be a blessing. What does it mean to be the city of God in the city of men, the city on a mountain visible to everybody? Here we read it. We are to be an object of blessing, of God's blessing among The nations. Be careful here. The church is to be the object of God's blessing, but not for herself. Is not to be blessed in order to be blessed and enjoy these blessings. But what it means to be the city of God and the city of men is that we receive God's blessings so that we live out these blessings and so that we can give and offer these blessings to the people around us. We are to be the object of blessing among the nations, we do not exist for ourselves. It's not about us. We are supposed to be God's city that experiences the kingdom of God and the principles of the kingdom of God, but not for our own sake, but among the nations. So that we can be a blessing. So that we can be an example, a visible illustration of what the kingdom of God looks like. And if you read the chapter 8, you will see what are these principles. 
What does it mean for the church to be the city of God? What are the rules? What are the principles? What are the values of this city of God? Read with me, please. First of all, we see that the city of God is, of God is it's a city of dignity. Read with me verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with cane in hand because of his age. You see, the life in the city of God is a life of dignity. The life in the city of God is a life of safety. Reading with me, verse 5. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Maybe you don't understand what it means here in Orlando that, you know, your kids actually play outside the streets and it's safe, but come to Athens and you'll understand what it means. That we don't have pavements, the cars parked there, it's a big city, it's terrible. But it will be a city of safety that you are not afraid for your kids to play outside. That's how life is supposed to be in the city of God. And it goes on. Life in the city of God is supposed to be a life of unity. Read with me verses 7 and 8. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people. And I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. A life of unity. Different nations living together. The life in the city of God is also a life. And listen to that. A life where everybody has the necessary means of living. I really like what you do with the jobs partnership. See what it says. Verses 10 and 11. 10 and 11. Before that time, there were no wages for men or beasts. No one could go about his business safely because of his enemy. For I had turned every man against his neighbor. But now... I will not deal with the remnant of these people as I did in the past, declared the Lord Almighty. So life in the city of God, which is to live in the city of men, is characterized by all these traits. And let me go on. It's life of justice. Read with me verse 16. Verse 16. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your course. And finally... Life in the city of God is supposed to be a life of joy and celebration. Read with me verse 19. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. The, the fast will become feasts. So that is... The principles that the city of God needs to live by. But be careful here. Not just for herself. But you need to be an object of blessing among the nations. So you are getting all these blessings. Not to enjoy them only. But also to share them with others. You have, we have to be as church. As I said, the visual object that God can use to show the world what it means to belong to his kingdom. Let me illustrate that. Imagine that you are stuck in uh, JFK Airport in New York. Probably you can tell that it's my experience. 
And uh, you had five hours layover, and then you have another five hours delay because outside it's snowing like hard. It's cold, freezing cold. It's getting dark, and you are stuck in this uh, airport, and, you know, life is miserable, and you know what to do. And then you get a magazine, and you start flipping the pages of the magazine, and you see there an ad, and it's an ad from a Greek island. The sun is shining. Oh, the skies are blue. The sea is so inviting. The table is full with tzatziki, souvlaki, and all the other delicacies. And you look at this ad and you say, man, that is what life is supposed to be. I'm going to be there. You are stuck in a snowstorm. And you say, I'm going to be there. And let me tell you. That's exactly what the church should be. People should look at the church the way the church is, the way the church lives, the way the church acts, the way the church serves. And people should say, that is what life is supposed to be. I'm going to be like that. I'm going to be there. So, what is God's vision for the church? To be the city of God and the city of men. What does that mean? It means that the way you live is a visible representation. A visible foretaste. Real, already, but not yet, of the coming kingdom of God. So that people look at you, look at the church, and they say, this is what it's all about. I'm going to be there. So, the third question is the toughest one. How can this happen? Because if we are honest, we will say what God knows that the Israelites would say when they heard this vision. So we read in verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of these people at that time. But will it seem marvelous to me? And now, please... When you see marvelous, that does not mean, oh, beautiful, fascinating, but marvelous in the sense that that can be, you know. So God says, I know. You listen to all these things. You listen to this great vision, and you say, how can this be? It's impossible. It's beyond us, right? How can we do that? We don't have the resources. We don't have the means. We are just a few people. We cannot do that. The world is so powerful. It is so mean. So it's very difficult for us. And God says, yes, you are right. If you have any hope, that is hope is, God says, me. If there is any hope that you will succeed in your mission, is me. And that's something that we need always to remind ourselves. I was sharing that before the Sunday school. If, if our work is based only on, on the calculation of our own resources, if our work is, go, is going as far as our means we think can go, then that is exactly what it is, our work. But it's a completely different story when we're talking about God's work. So look, look with me, please, in verse 3. 
What is the answer? How can this be? This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. And the mountain of the Lord's Almighty will be, called, will be called the holy mountain. I will return to Jerusalem and then Jerusalem will be the city on a hill. The city of God in the city of men. And there is another question. What will make God return? So here God says, your only hope is if I return, eh? if I'm involved in your projects, then you will succeed. But what will make God return if we are kind enough, cute, if God really likes us? We have a great history. Our church has a great history 150 years ago. What is, what, what will make God return to the church? See verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I'm very jealous for Zion. I'm burning with jealousy for her. Is God's free, unconditional, unexplainable love. Is God's commitment to his glory. Our only hope, the only hope of the church is God's commitment to his glory, to his covenant, to his people, to his promises. So, if I may continue and come to the last point, here we come to the so what. All right, we saw what is God's vision, we saw what it means, we understood that we cannot do it, but we know that if God will return, then that is doable, and the question is, if all these things are so, what would be the result. You know, there is this verse in the book of Acts that always fascinates me. It's Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 44. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amazing verse, isn't it? Can you picture it? You know, the Lord adding daily people in the church. Amazing. But let me tell you, in the book of Zechariah, there is something even more fascinating, even more amazing, even more wonderful. Let me read what the result will be if all these things hold true. We read verses 20 to 23. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. And now, please, is coming. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Can you picture that? Imagine that it's Sunday morning and you get into your car to come to church and all of a sudden as you turn off the edge and you see all the neighbors coming out of their homes and they jump onto you, they, they descend on you, they plead you, take us where you are going, take us with you. That is what he's describing there, you know. Let me summarize and finish. All the things that we said, we can say them in this simple sentence. 
when the Lord returns to his church, then the church returns to the world. And then the world returns to the church of the Lord. May I say that again? When the Lord returns to the church, then the church returns to the city. And then the city, the world, returns to the church of the Lord. And my brothers and sisters, if a vision like that seems impossible, unattainable, let me tell you, this is God's vision for you and me, for your church and for our church. Amen. Thank you, Yotis. They never clap when I'm done. So, <laughs> hey, come back tonight. Come back as family. Hear more about what God is doing in Greece. Uh, let your heart be stirred. Was not your heart stirred when he described who we should be? I never heard it described as a tropical island in Greece, uh, that beautiful place that people want to go to. But it's true. It says in that passage, when we love justice and peace, That'll be a reality. What a privilege is ours to contribute and partner. And I love his heart. I, I couldn't help but think it's so much of what God has given me, a passion for the city, a passion for the church to be truly a colony of heaven, for us to be a place where people want to jump on our cars and say, take me with you. I want to go. Hey, our God's worth it, is he not? We're going to take up an offering. You will see again in the bulletin um, more information. If you want to designate some funds uh, to Yotas tonight, there will be a, a special offering there as well. Um, what a privilege it is to partner. But as we go uh, to our time of giving back what the Lord has given to us, let us first turn our hearts again to Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You, through Your Spirit and the work of Your Son, would return to the church with great dunamis, with great power. That, Father God, that as You transform us into that city on a hill that Scripture describes that we should be, that You would call us to city beautiful here, Orlando, to shine in such a way that others will say, take me to that place so that I too can hear about a living loving God and be a part of that family. Father, thank You for that picture. And we realize that it will only happen as You come with power. And we know that it will happen for Your glory. But use us. Prepare us. May we be faithful. Give us Your heart. Fill this place with Your glory. Father, as we now turn to give back to You a portion of what You've given to us, we are overjoyed that we do not have to do this to try to earn Your love. We do not have to do this to try to keep from being disciplined. But because You love us in Christ and You disciplined Your Son by crushing Him on the cross for our sins, we have been loved and lavished upon 
And now we give back with, as cheerful givers, asking that Your kingdom would come, that Your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.